Well, if uh, you have your Bible or if you'll see in your worship order uh, this morning, uh, you'll see our scripture reading. And it's from Philippians chapter 1. I want to read it as it's printed here. This is from the ESV. This is God's Word. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. And Lord, we thank You for the gift that is Your Word. And we ask, Father, that as we come before it this morning, that You would open our hearts to it. And Lord, that's not just words we say uh, in a worship service before we come to uh, the preaching of the Word. Lord, that is our heart's cry. We, we need You to speak to our heart. We need You to uh, open our hearts to the truth that we might grasp it and that it might grasp us. Would You help us in that? Would You help us in that? We pray, Lord, that we would see Jesus even this morning. For we pray it in His name. Amen. Well, our focus this morning is on this, this phrase, really, in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to live a life that is Christ? What does that mean? Oftentimes when we come to this passage, what we do is we focus on the upgrade. There's an upgrade that's here. Have you seen that? For me to live is Christ, but to die is an upgrade. It's gain. And we focus on that. We talk about the fact that, you know, we live in this world. We, we live as Christians and God has come and saved our soul through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have the assurance of sin and we have ministry and we, we labor for Him and we see victory and growth in our life and all those kinds of things. And, you know, that's for me to live as Christ. But to die is gain. And we focus on the upgrade. And that's a good thing to focus on, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I don't want to do that. We ought to focus on that at times, that as we 
face our inevitable death, as we face the death of those that we know and love, this is a very encouraging verse. But I don't want to focus on the upgrade this morning. I want to focus on something else. I want to focus on this life that is Christ. What does that mean? And would you say that of you? Would you say, yes, for me to live is Christ. We, we think of this in terms of, uh, of the spiritual greats, I think, most often. We, we sort of think, well, yeah, I've, I've read about people whose life is Christ. One of my missionary heroes is Adoniram Judson. Uh, perhaps you've heard of him. He was the first American missionary uh, sent overseas. He labored the first four decades of the 1800s in Burma. And uh, an incredible story. The biography of his life is, uh, is amazing, really and truly. So he goes to Burma, right? And his goal ultimately is to... Um, he wants to translate the entire Bible into Burmese. Now realize there's not a single Christian there. There's no work that was going on when he got there. He wants to translate the Bible uh, into Burmese and he wants to plant a church. His goal is a church of a hundred members. He labors for 14 years and has is, is, is between five and seven converts over 14 years. And all he has done with regard to Bible translation is a little Burmese grammar. Can you imagine 14 years of labor? As well, in those 14 years, his wife died of disease and his children. So what does he do? He wants to go home and be with Jesus, just like Paul. Uh, what I want to do is hard for me. I'm hard-pressed. I'm caught between a rock and a hard place to labor here for y'all or to go home with Jesus, which is much better. It's, in, it's indeed the upgrade. But to stay here with you is more needful. And so he stays there, and he stays a number of years, and he prayed. He kept praying, God, give me the grace, the strength, give me the time to in fact translate the Bible into Burmese and then ultimately to see a church of 100 members, Burmese of believers, planted. And God answered that prayer and He affirmed it. Now you say of that person, for him to live is Christ. Yes? We would say that. And for the Apostle Paul as well, we read of all the biographical information in his life and we say, yeah, definitely for him, life, living, is Christ. Now, we kind of say, though, well, that's them. I mean, they're superstars, and they don't live in Spartanburg. <laughs> they're not living a life like I'm living, you know. All I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to get through school. I'm just trying to work. I'm just trying to raise my kids. I don't know that I'd jump straight to, for me to live, is Jesus. So here's the question. Why does Paul say this? Why does he say, for me to live is Christ? Is he saying, hey look, Philippians, Philippian church, I just want to let y'all know, I got my act together. I don't know what's up with y'all, but I am a spiritual superstar. And I was, of course he wasn't saying that. So why did he say it? And why did he say it to a church? To the church in town. Just a little town church. Why does he say it to them? 
because He's also calling them to in fact embrace this concept that the living of life itself, life and breath, inhaling and exhaling, raising kids, working every day, going to school, that all of that is in fact to be Jesus. Jesus is to be the motive, the mainspring. He's to be the one who is the grace, who gives us the strength to carry it out. And He's the one that is to be the aim of all of this. For me to live is Christ. And He's saying not only to those in the town of Philippians, He's saying to those in the town of Spartanburg, the call upon your life is to live a life where it's all about Jesus. And that's what I want us to talk about today in this passage. Um, because I, I think it's an overwhelming truth that's set forth here and one that we do well to, to spend some time thinking about. I want you to think about sometime, maybe this afternoon, that you pull back and you say, okay God, this is January the 4th, we're four days into 2015. And if God, if you give me the other 361 days of this year, Lord, I would like to come to the end of this year and look back and to say, there was a lot of sin there and a lot of failure and Your grace was sufficient to help me and to bring forgiveness that's there. But Lord, I, the best that I could in the strength of Your grace and power, in fact, for me to live through 2015 was Christ. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? To look back and to say that, that my life was Christ. And wouldn't you want to do that throughout the course of your rest of your life as well? Well, I want us to look at, at the rest of this passage and talk about what it means, in fact, to uh, for me to live as Christ. What does that mean? Let me, let me give you several things here that I think will help us out from the passage. Look, first of all, at verse 27. We, we read here, only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. I think one of the things that um, evidences the fact that, that we are living a life that is Christ is living a life that is worthy of the gospel. It means, it means to live a life that's consistent with the fact that you claim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Now God clearly promises to save our souls. If we repent of our sins and we believe on Jesus, we receive His finished work on Calvary's cross for ourselves, then God promises to save our souls. And He removes our guilt. And He gives us joy. He gives us uh, gifts for ministry. He gives us a sure home in heaven. All of these things are true. But what he says in this passage is, is that in light of all of those things that come by way of the gospel, he expects us to live worthy of that. Isn't that an incredible call? You see, Jesus is not called the Lord for no reason at all. He's the Lord because He, he comes and, and we're to bow before Him. Uh, we're to obey Him. But I want you to think about this. As opposed to, be, uh, as opposed to being like an abject slavery where there's just these commands that come down, what the Lord Jesus has done for us is said, look, I want you to live worthy of all the good things you've received. So it goes like this. If you have in fact received the forgiveness that comes through Christ, all of the stuff, 
stupid stuff, the sinful, evil, mean stuff that we've done throughout the course of life. And Jesus comes along and by the power of His shed blood as it's applied to you, He said, look, you're forgiven of all of that. It's in that light that Jesus the Lord says, I want you to live worthy of all of that kindness and generosity and forgiveness and grace and mercy that comes to you. I want you to live worthy of that. I want you to live consistently for that. You see, what He's calling us to as His Lord is, is, is to realize that as I draw breath, what I'm going to do is I'm going to breathe for Jesus. And if I go to school, I'm going to go to school for Jesus and for His pleasure. Yes, I want a good job where I can make a living and those kind of things, but ultimately what my schooling is all about, what my job, my vocation is all about, is ultimately about Jesus. It's just a vehicle for glorifying the Lord because that's why I have life and breath. For me to live is Christ. You see, the way that I live, uh, the way that I raise my children is to be Christ, is, is to be for His glory and for His pleasure, ultimately. When I go to the gym and work out, it's to be for the glory of Christ. It's, you know, we often think, ah, you know, I want to lose a few pounds and all those kind of things. At the end of the day, the way we eat, the way we exercise, all of that is ultimately to be for Christ. For me to live is Christ. The way that I buy cars, the way that I buy groceries, is to be for Jesus. It's to be motivated by Him. It's to be uh, uh, for the goal of Him. Every aspect of life. What's interesting about this passage in verse 21, in the original language, there's no verb to be. Which means that it, it reads literally like this. To live, Christ. To die, gain. The is is dropped. And what that says to me is, is that there is a, a, a spotlight that drops down on this passage of Scripture that sort of scrapes away everything else about life and says, to live Christ. There's nothing else that's mixed in with it or should be mixed in with it. You see, what Paul wants us to understand is, is that all the aspects of our life are temporary. And yet, even as they are temporary, they're all to be for Christ. You think about it. Wealth is temporary. But it's to be used for Christ. You think about all of your social contacts. You think about all of the social media that you're into and how many friends you have on this or that form of media. All of that is for Christ. All of that is for His glory. All of your business contacts, all of your uh, 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 professional successes, all of that's temporary. It's going to pass. It will not last eternally, but it's all for Christ. It's all to be seen as something that we lay at the feet for Jesus and to be used for His glory. They're not goals in this life, but they're tools for serving the Lord Jesus. Now what does this mean? What it means is that for, for me to live as Christ, it means that I will live a life worthy of the gospel, means that your Bible will be close at hand. Your Bible is going to be close at hand. You've got to be in it. 
You've got to be reading it. It's got to be soaking in your life. In it, you're going to be looking for guidance and direction. You're going to be looking to the hand of the master as the, as the maid looks to the hand of her mistress. I'm looking for direction, Lord. I'm looking for guidance. We're obviously going to be in God's Word and finding direction. If we are going to live that life that's worthy of the Gospel, it means to live consistent with His Word. And let me just say this, my friend, if the only exposure to God's Word is the sermon that you hear at Pine Street, let me say it's just not enough. You have a great pastor in Justin Kendrick. He is a great preacher. But getting that for 30 minutes every week is not enough. It's just not enough. It's not enough for you to live a life worthy of the Gospel. We've got to have more there. You see, we have to read the Word. We have to study the Word. We have to take notes in it. We have, to, we have to meditate on it. We have to mull it over until it becomes part of us, until it's sort of instinctive, almost reflexive to respond in terms of the Word that comes for us. And let me just say this, that there are tons of helps for us in reading the Word of God. Let me give you one suggestion, and I found this very helpful. Last year I read through the Bible completely online. And uh, so many of you are far ahead of me in terms of uh, computer technology. The website is ewordtoday.com. ewordtoday.com. Uh, you can read 50 different English versions of the Bible there, and it will split it out in your daily reading so that at the end of the year you come through and you've read the whole thing. Uh, there, there's a, a, a thing you can click on there and you can read parallel versions at the same time. It'll even put uh, interlinear Greek and Hebrew in the text as well if you want. All kinds of helps like that. That's just one side. I got an email um, this week uh, from Ligonier Ministries, which is R.C. Sproul's, and there were at least 25 links to different Bible reading guides uh, on the net. Wonderful references for us to be able to get through the Scriptures um, in the course um, of a year. So there's really no excuse for us not to read the Scriptures. There's no excuse for that. Let me read you a great quote. One of my favorite authors is Kent Hughes. He wrote a wonderful book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man. And in it, he talks about um, the reading through the Scriptures. He says this there. He said, I can... Uh, you can never have a Christian mind without reading the Scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. There it is. <laughs> and is that not true? I mean, we wouldn't argue with that. He goes on and he says here, um, if you're filled with God's Word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. Your domestic relationships, your child-rearing, your career, your ethical decisions, your internal moral life. The way to a Christian mind is through God's Word. we got to be in God's Word in order to conduct ourselves worthy of the Gospel so that we can say, for me, to live as Christ. There's a second thing I want you to see about um, a life that is Christ. And it's this. It's found in verse 25. Let's look at that together. It says here in verse 25, um, you'll see that it ends with this reference to progress and joy and faith. Um, that Paul is going to remain, he's going to continue, he's going to keep laboring. Um, in verse 24 he says um, he finds it more necessary, more needful to remain in the flesh. Not to go home and be 
with Jesus, but to remain in the flesh with Him. But the goal, the goal in His life as for Him to live as Christ, one of those main goals in His life is their progress and their joy. So again, why does he say this? I believe that that is one of the main goals for our life as well. That is, we are trying to live a life that is Christ. That it will be about the progress and the joy of others. Now let me ask you how you think about that. Do do you think that way? Do you think about, okay, what good am I being for the progress of other people? I want you to think about the intensity of this passage. Let's back up just a step. Think about the, how intense Paul is as he lays this passage out. He starts by saying, For me to live is Christ. That overwhelmingly powerful statement. Then he follows up and he says, I'm hard pressed on either side. There's a sense in which I just want to go home and be with Jesus. But it's more needful that I be here for you and that I'm laboring, that I'm laboring for your progress and for the joy uh, in your own life. Only let your conduct, the only kind of conduct that needs to be going on is that which is worthy of the gospel. Then he says, striving together for uh, the faith of the gospel. And you get the sense of this great intensity that he's pretty exercised even as he pins this letter to those who are in Philippi. But one of those points, one of those endpoints, is that the Philippians would progress in their faith and that they would have joy. It's interesting in verse 22, he says, I'm here and I'm here for the fruit of labor. So he has this concept of the work that needs to be done there. And, and, and he's calling us that as we have a life that is Christ, as we are living a life worthy of the gospel, that in fact we would be laboring for the progress of the faith of others around us. We think about Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, though, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's talk about what this is just for a moment. We, we are to be those who are good for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That because we are living with them and the way that we live with them, that we are causing them to progress in their faith. Now would you say that that is one of the, one of the intentions of your life? I hope so. But if it's not, we have to take a step back and say, okay, for me to live as Christ, what that's going to look like in 2015 is, is that I'm concerned about the progress of my friends. You know, there's sort of a progress of maturity that can happen in believers. It can happen in churches as well. And the progress kind of goes like this. First, we get to thinking about what some people have referred to as simply nickels and noses. More people want to Christ and more money that's given to the church. And just nickels and noses, those kinds of things. 
And then we kind of say, well, that can be sort of discouraging if the nickels and the noses aren't coming in. And we kind of say, well, what I'm called to do is to be faithful. Right? And we are called to be faithful in the Scriptures. So I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. I'm going to share the gospel. If, if people come to faith in Christ, that's great. If not, I'm being faithful. And I think sometimes when we get to faithfulness, we can sort of, we can sort of pat ourselves on the back that we're doing something even if there are no results. And I think there's a better way to in fact look at our life. And that is not nickels and noses, not just faithfulness, but the biblical concept of fruitfulness in our life. Would you say that your life bears fruit? For me to live is Christ. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Shouldn't that bear fruit? And if it does bear fruit, what is the fruit that's there? Well, there's all kind of fruit. There's, um, there's what we might call attitudinal fruit fruit, the fruit of our attitude. We might look at a passage like Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Say, how am I doing in that? Do I love people more? Is there more joy in my... Is there more peace in my life on January the 4th, 2015 than there was on 2014? Fruit here in our attitude. But there's also the deeds of righteousness fruit that's here. In fact, Philippians 1.11 actually refers to the deeds of righteousness which we ultimately do. That kind of fruit that I am um, ministering and I'm seeing people's lives that are ultimately changed because I'm engaged in them. They are more able to bring glory to Christ simply because I've lived with them. I've encouraged them. I've blessed them. I've taught them. I've exhorted them. Sometimes I've confronted them. In law and grace. And then, of course, there is the fruit of converts as well. So all kinds of fruits. The, 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 the growth in our head, uh, our deeds, the winning of converts, all those kinds of fruit. But you see, Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, and therefore the church in Spartanburg, that we ought to be those who, in fact, are bearing fruit because we are laboring for the progress, the movement forward in faith. When I was a little kid... In my basement, we had, um, I guess you would call it a rocking horse. It was not a true rocking horse on a rocker, but it was one of these horses that was suspended on four corners on springs. You remember this? It had a handle that went through the horse's ears. I always thought that was a little weird. But anyway, you know, there was this little handle. And you could get on that thing and you could kind of canter it and you could really... And you'd rock back on it, just ride the tar that spent all kind of mine was red with little black stripes on it. I think um, we had had it for absolutely years. But here's the thing about that is you could ride that horse all day long and go nowhere. And we don't want to do that as believers. The progress of faith. There's a second thing in that phrase I said in verse 25. It was joy. Laboring for the joy. Paul labored for the joy that was going on in uh, the believers there in Philippi. I want you to think about that. And think about the way that you live with your, say, your family, your church families, to say, I want to labor in such a way where um, I'm bringing joy to other people. Now, that doesn't mean you're always 
all sugary, sweet, and nice. Now, hopefully there's a lot of that. But there are times when we say, how are you doing in the Lord? No, how are you really doing? <clears throat> but laboring for the joy of others. With that in mind, it seems like that's what Paul was doing by way of verse 25. That I'm concerned that not only are you growing, that you're bearing more and more fruit, converts, deeds, attitudes, but also that you're growing in joy. Are we doing that? There's one other thing I want you to see as we, we look at the, uh, this life that is um, Christ and it's found in verse 29. In verse 29, it reads this way, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. I want you to notice that there is a gift here. It has been granted to you. Two gifts, in fact. It has been granted to you. It's been given to you. It's a gift to you. What two things have been given? One is, is that you should believe. We say, great, I love that. And we understand that, that faith is a gift. That, that the ability to believe actually comes from God as He works His salvation ultimately in us. Now there's another gift that's here as well. Notice the last phrase of verse 29. It says, but also suffer for His sake. So what has been granted is not only the, the ability to believe, but the opportunity to suffer for Christ. Now I would be remiss if as a pastor I said, look, consider 2015. I want you to... to to focus on a life that is Christ. I want you to live only in such a way that you are worthy, living worthy of the conduct of the gospel. I want you to live for the progress and the joy of others. And then not to tell you that there in fact could be times when you suffer. It would, I would be remiss. That would not be right. And that, that opportunity has been given to you as a gift of God. Don't you find that amazing? I do. We, we think, I mean, you know, there are entire churches that are founded on the, the, um, the premise that, hey, you know, if you suffer, there's something wrong with you spiritually. Here it says it's actually a gift of God. How might we suffer in 2015? In lots of ways. And we know that our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering in unmentionable ways, unspeakable ways. Their lives are being lost, their health, they're being physically harmed, jobs lost, families separated in horrible, horrible ways. I don't anticipate that for us in 2015. But could we suffer? Yeah. But what is the price for standing up for what you know to be biblical truth? You, we, guys, we've got to stop saying, I know what the Bible says, but... We can't do that. And it may mean that when you say, this is what the Scripture says, and this is what I must do, and this is what I must say to my friends and to my family, and uh, some of them are believers and some of them are not. And they may say, man, you've lost your mind if you believe that. That is so out of sync with what's going on today. Then in fact, there may be some form of suffering that's there. But that's exactly what we've been called to do. It's to suffer. I hope you don't suffer this year. But perhaps it's been granted to us. Perhaps it's been gifted to us to suffer 
in this year. Alright, so let's say we come to January the 4th, 2016, and we look back. Do we have a life that we've lived that is something that is, um, that we say, though clearly something that has been fraught with sin, I, I present this before the Lord Jesus as a life that the best that I know how, by His grace and strength, um, for me to live in 2015 is Christ. You know, other than that, there is no life of fulfillment and contentment. You know, so many of us, so many people have gone before us and said, look, I, I want to live another life and just put a little bit of Jesus on the outside when Jesus is convenient and that will be my life. But I don't know about this thing where Christ, for me to live, for me to breathe, for me to work, for me to raise kids, for me to buy cars and groceries, is Christ. I don't know about all that. Let me give you some examples. Uh, many years ago, um, we, uh, well, I should say down through the ages, that there have been those who have been trying to live lives that were uh, lives of fulfillment and trying to fulfill that life uh, in ways other than with Jesus being the focus of it. Let me give you an example. Lord Byron, some of you have heard of, was a poet in the 1800s and uh, was well known. He actually wrote the poem Don Juan. Uh, but he lived a life of pleasure um, if anybody lived a life of pleasure. He gets down to the end of his life and Lord Byron said this, about the life that he had lived. He said, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that just a tragedy? Um, Jay Gould was, uh, he was one of the first robber barons of the 1800s as well. Made millions of dollars uh, on railroads here in the United States. And uh, he said this when he was dying. He said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Now, he, he had everything money could buy. He had the ability to buy whatever he could want or imagine. Pleasure, money. Lord Beaconsfield was a fellow, he's not a huge uh, person in history, but he was actually Prime Minister of England in the middle 1800s and uh, had position, had power, had influence in his life. He came... He comes to the end of his life, and this is what he said. He said, Youth is a mistake. Manhood is a struggle. And old age, a regret. No, wait, 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 wait. God, Prime Minister of England. I mean, he, he, he makes the phone call. He pulls the lever. Something happens. And life just is a vapor to him. What about achievement and accomplishment? Surely that is fulfilling. We all know of Alexander the Great who conquered the known world in his day. And it's cliche almost now that when he had done so, he wept in his tent and he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. That all of that accomplishment left him unfulfilled. My friends, there is only one way to live life. And you know this. For me to live is Christ. For me to live Christ. Let's pray together. Father,
I want to thank you for this passage of Scripture. It is a great and high calling. And it is really beyond us in strength. We can't do this. We can't do this. And yet that calling is there. And so what we ask, Lord, is for grace. An outpouring of supernatural strength that we might in fact have this kind of focus. That we might think these thoughts after You and seek to glorify You um, as we live. Lord, I pray that we would give some thought, perhaps today, perhaps this week, as to how we'll live 2015. And that our life might in fact reflect, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We ask it in His name. Amen.